Welcome to the Two Stewards Show. We are pivoting from Bitcoin to chat about real estate investing in the city of Toronto. Many investors have ruled out Toronto as overpriced, oversaturated, and overhyped. But we need housing and legislators can't go long before opening the door to new opportunities. What do we know about Toronto? Population growth, lack of housing supply, great employment opportunities, AAA tenants, and expensive real estate. But just when we thought all hope was lost and we would never be able to invest profitably again, the Two Stewards Show brings on a guest to talk about a worthwhile opportunity creating multi-unit properties right in the city of Toronto. This time, we welcome Jaden Haywood in studio. His background in the energy conservation engineering reporting modeling space gives him a unique perspective on this amazing real estate investing strategy. And his company, PL Energy, conducts full-service energy modeling and reports for investors to meet climate compatibility requirements when applying for construction or takeout financing under the CMHC MLI Select Multi-Unit Mortgage Loan Insurance Product Underwriting Process. Whew! If that sounds complex, don't worry, Jaden will break it all down for us. Recent policy changes in Toronto allow for four legal dwellings inside a home, plus a detached laneway or garden house for a total of five units on one lot as of right. And developing a lot into five units opens up some excellent commercial financing options. We will get into that. So... If you're keeping your eyes open for any opportunities to steward your financial blessings through real estate investing, this episode will touch on what seems to be the sweet spot for investors right now in the GTA. And if you're looking for more information on the deals that Jaden's team is working on, or you want to own some cash flowing real estate in the city of Toronto, head on over to goodstewards.ca slash river. This page will be updated as projects are developed and new ones come online. And we'll put that in the show notes. And now Jaden Haywood. Okay, hello folks. Welcome back to the Two Stewards Show. I'm Mark, and I'm here with the lovely and talented Brent. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> and uh, today we have a special guest. Uh, his name's Jaden, and uh, he is a, what would you call yourself, a missing middle developer? Yeah, yeah new, new to the space of uh, missing middle development. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. You got a strong emphasis on energy... Um, Oh, energy stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, energy conservation. So my uh, background, Mark, is in energy conservation. I've been a partner of an energy firm for the last 15 years with focus on high-performance new construction, um, good, good, better building practices, energy conservation, um, strong reliance on federal and provincial rebates and incentives. So my background for the last 15 years has typically been teaching multifamily buildings how to save energy, helping them implement the energy conservation measures to save the energy, and hopefully get rebates and incentives for doing it. Okay, so... <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's what I say. Welcome yeah, to the that's show, because that's... that's uh... <laughs> okay, well, okay, Jason's so an we... expert, right? So, yeah. obviously, what you just heard uh, comes from an expert, somebody who's done this a lot. Okay, slow down here. So... Uh, where so first of all you made the drive all the way down here from toronto so appreciate that yes because uh, i've yeah. done that commute lots of times and that's not yeah, super it's a fun beautiful, beautiful ride this morning <laughs> yeah it was a beautiful ride this morning nice to get out of the city too right now 
Yeah? Yeah, Toronto's kind of under construction. Well, okay, so. I was driving down the QEW this morning. I look over at Toronto, and it's like full sun. Yeah. And I'm in this cloud, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I was over there. Right now, but you <laughs> Toronto, made the track all the way over here. Toronto was beautiful this morning. I was out walking the dogs at whatever, 640 in the morning. The sun's breaking. <laughs> sky was blue. Driving into Hamilton was a little grayer. Yeah. Famous, but, uh, yeah. It's the, uh, the steel plants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, so we did an episode a while back on, um, like, you know, five plexes, you know, yeah. three, uh, rulings and stuff. And I guess the three three ways you qualify for CMHC financing, like, number one, it's got to be a five plex. But then to get the preferred, I guess, tiers of financing, you either are going to do affordable housing, mm-hmm. um, uh, energy yeah. or make it accessible, accessible right? Accessible housing or, or energy, yeah. And so, Mark, uh, just to build on that, so CMHC has been around for a long time, and, and, and they're a federal insurer of multifamily properties. And, and typically how it works is they will issue you, issue you sorry, a COI or an insurance letter that you can take to any lender across Canada, and it typically gives you favorable rates and favorable terms on, on a loan. A um, couple of years ago, I don't have the specific date. I think it was like March 2021. Don't hold me to that. They came out with this new product called the MLI. Slack. Who's who's they? CMHC. 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 Okay, so yeah, just so people are aware, like that's the lender or the insurance insurance right. on the lender, right? Yeah. yeah so okay. They're, they're not an actual lender, um, which took me a while to wrap my mind around. So um, yeah, they, they're an insurer. Yeah. For multifamily loans or, or commercial loans. Um, so anyway, Canada, like, listen, this is a bit of a, uh, so a way to jump right in the deep end for people. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like, listen, I mean, if you're interested in real estate, um, or if you've been listening to anything about real estate, you'll know that Canada on a whole has kind of been in like this housing crisis. Yeah. Canada short on housing. There's supply shortage. I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah. yeah right. It's probably from that guy in the tent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's so, a lot of dad jokes on this podcast. So the feds decided, they're like, look, like, what is it that we're trying to achieve here? What do we want? Like, what, what are our social outcomes? So they said, let's make it a rewarding venture for anybody that wants to build accessible housing, affordable housing, or energy efficient housing. Yeah. So those are the three outcomes that the, uh, the feds right now, or CMHC, is trying to push with these incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, so this yeah. would be like the three buckets that are kind of politically popular that a lot of people support that if you tick those boxes, if you tick your those development. Boxes, yeah, we, we will reward you with some financial um, benefits and some financial rewards. I mean, I mean, like that's it from, you know, a million miles. Up. That, that's yeah. kind of like the program. So in your experience, um, how many people are doing sort of those first two things, the affordability trying to tick those boxes, affordability or accessibility versus the energy. Because I think when we looked at it, just basic layman, we kind of evaluated it and we're like, it's probably much easier and cheaper to actually meet the requirements for the energy side of things mm-hmm. and get your financing that way as opposed to doing affordable or accessible housing. Yeah, so great question. Um, I think it really depends on where you're focusing your developments. Uh, yeah. So like certain parts of Canada, you can meet affordable housing requirements fairly easily. In fact, the the affordability um, benchmark may even be like above what your market rents are. So by default, you're gonna you're gonna qualify oh, really? for. Yeah, there's places in um, on the outskirts of Edmonton that I see it happening a lot of. Um, province of Saskatchewan seems to have a lot of projects that I've worked on. 
um, that, that fit that criteria. And just last week, I was actually talking to somebody that's focused on the accessibility. So they, they build um, houses in, I think it was Peterborough, which is here in Ontario. <clears throat> but, but I think, you know, from an investment standpoint, which is what I think you're getting at right now, is what seems to be the most attractive and what seems yeah. to be leading the charge. It's, it's definitely energy. Energy. I mean, um, a lot of investors and developers don't want to be handcuffed to annual reporting requirements. It's kind of you know, necessity of those other two buckets, we'll call them, the accessibility and the affordability. Um, and I think a lot of investors just don't want to be handcuffed to offering affordable yeah. housing when, when they could just build a product that meets certain energy criteria and energy efficiency standards, and then you're off to the races. Yeah, because that's like you do that when you build it as opposed to having like a 10-year a uh, handcuff for lack right. of a better word, right? Yeah, yeah, 10-year uh, commitment to the federal government. And it, and it like I said, it requires um, annual reporting practices. So when you build a, a building with uh, energy efficiency in mind, you're right. Like you're, you're kind of like setting it and forgetting it, right? You're, you're focused on high-efficiency heating and cooling measures, high-efficiency domestic hot water, building envelope. Lighting. Those things kind of all sound like really good things to have as an investor in your property anyways, right? Like when you want well, yeah. energy efficient properties. Yeah, I, I, I think don't. that... <laughs> I don't know, do you? I, I think, well, it depends, right? There, there's two ways to think about it. Like, am I going to be buying an existing building and retrofitting it to be energy efficient? Or am I going to build from the ground up a new energy efficient building? And, and my answer for the latter scenario, uh, certainly is that a lot of people are gonna be meeting energy efficiency standards just by default, just by virtue of them building in the year 2023 or the year 2024, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you're, you're just, you're gonna be more efficient than this benchmark or the baseline that the feds have given us. So I encourage people to try to explore energy efficiency because you may be building in this high, you know, efficiency standard already and, and you may not even know it, right? Okay, before we go into more detail on the CMHC stuff with the investment properties, um, I kind of want to back up and hear a little bit more about your background. Like, how did you get into this energy stuff? Like, you said you had a company or you were involved in a company doing energy modeling. Can you describe a little bit about your background there? Sure. What actually got you into being called, getting calls for CMHC? Like, I think that's a bit beyond <laughs> our listeners right away. We kind of know what's sure. going on in your background. Um. <clears throat> I mean, I, I like my come up story. I don't know if okay. everybody else will, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, let's the, hear it. <laughs> we'll let you know. Yeah, okay. The, the year was 2008. Um, we were just kind of in the midst of this uh, recession, if you guys remember 2008. Oh, yeah. And I had just finished university and I'm like, oh, well, what the yeah. heck am I going to do now? Um, You're smart. You got a degree. You got a good what, job. What did you study, by the way? Uh, I went to Western for building... A, or sorry, business administrative studies. That shows how much I paid attention. Uh, <laughs> was not the best student, um, you know, just... Academically. Even, academically. Academically, um, you, you know, it was kind of like in one ear and in out the other. So needless to say, employers were not lining up at my doorstep being like, Jaden, let's hire you, Jaden, let's hire you. Um, anyway, I had reached out to a very good friend of mine who was going to... Um, I don't know where he was actually, Waterloo, University of Waterloo. He's a really, really smart guy, academic guy. And I said, listen, if you flip on the news, it seems like there's these massive push for government rebates and incentives around the energy sector. Hmm. I know how to sell. You, you know, He was an accountant at the time. So I said, listen, I think that there's an opportunity here. 
to sell energy projects in this recession because when people can't be making money, you know, by, by more profit, then they certainly can be focused on ways to decrease their operation expenses and become more profitable that way, right? And you were focusing right on the, the housing industry specifically at that time? Or? So, so to get right into the weeds, I was actually selling LED lighting. Oh. And I was selling LED lighting to condominiums and I was selling LED lighting to uh, industrial facilities, right? So like my- And they're replacing it with LEDs because it's way more energy efficient than- Yeah, I think I, I remember- Around that time, this I was is working going at a way back business, for and you. we would get calls pretty regularly from companies saying, "Hey, do you want to upgrade your lighting to LED?" Because, like, I think that yeah, the different layers of government had different rebates. I know the city, like City of Burlington, for example, was mm-hmm. one where they would uh, subsidize that. So yeah, yeah so they had, well, they had these. Um, you know, to your point, it was it was like the wild wild west, and and everybody. I remember picking up the call or picking up the phone and, and some of the reactions like, Oh, another lighting guy. <laughs> we, we were, we were getting, we were getting a rap for, for just hammering the pavement. But and, I mean, in fairness, we were going around and selling in some situations, a six figure project to e- either, um, you know, an asset owner, like a multifamily apartment owner, um, or an industrial building owner, it would be six figures. There would be half of it would be covered by government rebates and incentives, and there'd be like a six month payback on it. You know, when you have lights that run twenty four seven. So anyway, that that was my introduction to the energy conservation um, space. From there, um, you know, things caught on really, really rapidly. We started expanding. We created a consulting engineering firm. We created a project management firm. They all kind of had three different addresses, and before we knew it, we had close to 50 employees, all in the GTA, and we were expanding across Canada. So um, that was that was kind of my introduction to like being an entrepreneur in, in the energy space on a whole. It taught me how to identify an opportunity when it came to energy conservation, and it taught me how to navigate very convoluted and complicated federal, provincial, and municipal rebate programs. And just like I say, those that, that latter part. Alone. When you say complicated federal plans, I think we know what we're talking about. Well, are there any? Are there any other kind? Yeah, they're yeah. only complicated. Well, I mean, I used to say to people all the time, half of our half of our business became rebate consulting, because people are like, I know that there's rebates out there, but you know, I don't have the patience or, or like you know the intelligence or, or the whatever to, to yeah. do it. So. Half of our business became like rebate consulting. Um. <laughs> so that's almost like just a business in itself, just navigating all the jargon. Huge and Huge yeah, business okay. of itself. I dare you to Google it because yeah. you'll be inundated with ads for the next like two months. There, there's a hundred different companies. And like, here, here's the thing about that space. That space doesn't require crazy overhead. You can be a one man uh, you know, show yeah. and just be doing rebate consulting. So anyway. Um, that was my background. Uh, started so 15 years now. I've been in the energy conservation space, and in that 15 years, I've I've seen a lot of really cool technologies come uh, to light and come to market. I've seen programs end, programs start, programs end, programs as far as like rebates and incentives are concerned. They um, got to keep you hopping. <laughs> but it but it taught me two things. It taught me it taught me one energy conservation, building sciences, and 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 kind of like efficient ways of, of building multifamily properties. And two, and probably more importantly, it taught me how to spot an opportunity for incredible investment of either time or capital 
and great re- returns and uh, paybacks on those investments. You talk about like real estate investments, or are you just talking about like dealing with the government? <laughs> so, what, we we talk about real estate on our, our podcast, but we also talk about money, and mm. you know, my favorite punching bag is the bureaucracy, and um, like I don't know, that's it's an opportunity, right? Like we, we don't. You'll take a swing whenever you get an oh, opportunity. Yeah. No, but just the fact somebody can make a living. Just dealing with the bureaucracy is like maddening to me, yeah. right? Like, and I mean, if you're a regular person, like, you, yeah, you don't know. You need a specialist to help you navigate these. Like, to me, it just it, it drives me batty yeah. that yeah. there is actually money to be made doing such a ridiculous. <laughs> so the thing. fact that Jaden's here is upsetting to you. <laughs> I can leave. Okay. <laughs> yeah. we, can cut, we can cut this short. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's like investing in real estate in that's general. That's the reality. It's needed, right? Yeah. Well, this is how we make our living, but like, really, we shouldn't because th- there should be. Anyways, our whole economic no, I, system should be different, but this is the reality. This is where we live. Yeah. And we're providing needed services, and like certainly you are too, if especially if um, when it comes to energy efficiency, I yeah. think that's so that's you, a good and noble you touched cost. on those two things, right? So what you had you had um, energy consulting, like the energy efficiency space that you've come like become really well versed in, right? Yeah. And then you also have like the ability to identify opportunities. So does that bring you to where you what you're doing today, like? Um, yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, like, listen, for, for the listeners and for the viewers, um, I think it's important to highlight that I'm, you know, I don't come from the real estate space. I didn't have any family members that were real estate investors, developers. Um, I don't have any kind of license to trade real estate. I'm not a mortgage guy. Uh, I, I didn't know what the acronym CMHC meant. I'm going to say like like two or three years ago. Didn't even yeah. know what the acronym was. Um, I had earned some stripes in real estate just by buying in 2012. I did nothing. <laughs> I did nothing, right? Yeah. Like I bought like some old Is this out. your primary residence kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah okay. primary residence, you know, it's just, it's a story um, that I'm sure you've heard a few times, but unlike most storytellers, I don't say that I had some crystal ball. Like I bought some old rundown semi-detached in the east side of Toronto in what could be considered uh, an undesirable neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and you bought it for a dollar, and then all of a sudden it's worth four dollars. You know what I mean? So anyway, that that's kind of my real estate story. I yeah. am certainly not an expert in real estate, but a couple of years ago, um, you know, this is shortly after COVID, we started kind of seeing policy changes and and some discussions, some quiet discussions about potentially like Toronto having some policy changes or loosening some, some restrictions on, on multifamily or converting single family homes to multifamily. Then I started seeing some tax breaks. Then I started seeing some federal rebates and incentives. Then there was mention about, you know, whatever, all these financial opportunities kind of just had me thinking like, holy smokes, this is 2008 again with the, with the government rebates around the energy. And just like nobody had converted their bulbs in their house to LED in 2008, I drive down the streets, nobody has built laneway suites, garden suites, uh-huh. nobody has converted these old, 100-year-old, dilapidated, you know, single-family homes to, to beautiful, energy-efficient multiplexes. To say that we're at the start of this wave is, yeah, is, is an understatement. Like, it's not even close to the opportunity that I saw in 2008, so. So interesting, because, like, when I think Toronto, I just think 
because I'm from Hamilton, right? So I just think like overpriced, wouldn't want to deal in that market. Um, you know, all the opportunities there are probably like have been taken mm-hmm. and they're super gone because that's where all the sharks super swim, expensive, right? Yeah. In Toronto, but like you're saying, we're you're just sort of cracking the uh, cracking the tip of the iceberg. I like the mix of metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you're you're right. I mean, like for the most part, opportunities have been um, picked over so often in in Toronto. Everything's like, been maximized to the nth degree. You'd think so, right? And yeah. I mean, um, like, look, the reality of the situation is over the last decade. I'm going to say since 2000, at the very least, 2015 or 16 onwards, people have had to go to the Hamiltons. To the, to the Windsors, to the Kitchener-Waterloo. I'm, I'm specifically talking about Ontario, yeah. but we can talk about any major province. You've had to leave your downtown cores to go to secondary markets in order to make money in real estate. Whether that was by you, you know, flattening a home and building it a nice one again, a, a custom home and selling it for a profit, so like transacting on real estate, or, or burrs, right? Like the buy, renovate, refinance, rent, repeat. Like you have to go to secondary markets because the capital cost of acquiring in Toronto just didn't make sense. Yeah. Right? And one right. of the limitations Because is you were like looking at many, like single families or maybe duplexes, right? Yeah. Sure. How many and, units you could create inside. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, look, there's a cost of money, right? So yep. when, when you're dealing with a city like Toronto and you're staring down the potential of a 12 month development period that's on the light end uh, waiting to get like rezoned in a permit in, in all honesty like if you're buying pre-con condos you're looking at a four-year development window yeah. you're, you're parting ways with your money and you're getting a product in four years right Hopefully. so like these markets just outcompeted toronto and and i mean like yeah. look at your social media it was filled with offerings of like your your hamilton's your peterborough's your you know ottawa was almost even too big of a city but um, it just didn't make sense in the city of Toronto. Why did why why were people paying a premium in Toronto? Well, I mean, like, look, people like AAA tenants. People like the Bay Street, the the financial sectors. The, I'm not saying these secondary markets don't have that, but Toronto has that to another level. <laughs> Tor- Toronto has like you know, it's it's the excluding Mexico City. It's it's the third largest city in North America. Uh, it. it charges the second highest rent in North America, only behind New York City. Like it is your blue chip stock. So that's why you had these big guys mm-hmm. with deep wallets saying, well, I don't care if it's cash flow negative. I just want to own in Toronto. Yeah. In a sense, all the secondary markets like Hamilton, they only really exist because Toronto's there, right? Like they, they sure. form flow. and they develop. Sure. And there's so many people who live here and then commute into the city, right? Yeah. Um, so if you take Toronto out of the mix, all these secondary markets just vanish. I mean, maybe not anymore. But. Yeah, but yeah, no, you're you're right. It's a it's a it's a powerhouse, um, and and that comes with its pros, and it certainly comes with its cons. And and the cons, if I'm going to highlight it from my eyes, or for like a small investor like me, if that's what you want to call yeah. me, call me, or you know anybody that doesn't have tens and tens of, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to just come in and just swoop up assets, like yeah, we are cash flow sensitive. We cannot afford to have things that are just cash flow negative and bleeding. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the city of Toronto for the last decade or so has been that, right? It's, it's just not been the best place to, uh, to <laughs> yeah. invest in. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's the, that was your point. Like, you know, Toronto <laughs> just hasn't made sense. So, so far, we're dealing with bloated 
government bureaucracy and then we're dealing with long timelines and <laughs> high cost of land like yeah, what could go wrong yeah <laughs> so what changed what changed yeah like let's get to the good part <laughs> yeah um you know much like much like my experience in 2008 what changed was the loosening of certain policies um, the incentives or, or the rebates if you want to call them that handed down by both municipal levels provincial and federal levels and the allowance for regular people like us to go buy a single family home and almost be build ready in a shortened window. I, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and say you can buy a house and start building in four months but in theory you should be able to. So everything that I have been focused on is this like as of right umbrella Yeah. and, and you'll hear me use as of right umbrella and that means that I don't have to go to the city and get something rezoned. I don't have to go to a committee of adjustment. I can buy a single family home, convert it to a four unit, fourplex in the front, try to add a laneway suite or a garden suite in the rear if I'm lucky, and then I all of a sudden have a commercial property. And, and if done properly, you, you can almost buy a home and be shovel ready for construction or conversion in uh, in a fraction of the time that it used to take yeah and you know like when time is money and when there's such a high cost of money that's an opportunity now, and that exists across the board we can do that in hamilton right now yeah. we can do that in kitchener waterloo we can do that in windsor um so, so the great opportunities across the board um, and what the interesting thing about toronto is the fact that like i'm just thinking out loud here um like obviously your con cost of construction would be a little bit more, but very similar. Like a two by four is a two by four. You build a place in Hamilton, your rents are going to be a lot different in Toronto, right? Yeah. Like the tenant quality, the tenant, yeah, uh, like yeah. the rents that people are paying, yeah, and, in and Toronto are going to be a lot higher. And so your listeners are are clear. It's not. It's not that we're saying like the tenants are better. Yeah. Uh, it's not like a just morally superior. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes. So you coming down to it's like Wagyu beef versus you know <laughs> yeah. you know Black Angus or something. We should have some yeah. of that beef. Man. I want a Wagyu tenant. <laughs> we're, we're certainly we're certainly not saying that there's like a different class of people or different like you know character of people. What we're saying is that like you know when you talk about AAA tenants, you're talking about people that will pay x amount of dollars a square foot right like it's yeah. it's like the most expensive real triple estate the in, price and can't yeah sure whatever right like okay. double the price triple the price so the reason why i'm really bullish on toronto is because well heck i can buy i, I can buy a single family home i can convert it to a multifamily, and i know that i have that blue chip stock I yeah know that i'm going to get that triple a tenant so yeah I, that, that's why i'm really bullish on toronto because you have a big uh, just a bigger pool of those tenants we have them in hamilton but there's not course, nearly yeah. as many yeah, a bigger pool. Um, you know, there's probably some more supply constraints. Even driving through Hamilton today, like I was just like, wow, like you guys have such an opportunity for for gentle density just in this neighborhood right here. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, there's all bungalows here. Yeah, there's so much land. Oh, there's tons of yeah. Right, but there's it's so funny because when we live here and we go to a place like St. Catharines or Fort Erie, it's like, yeah. what are we talking about? Like you could fit houses in between every single one of these. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so, so I mean, there's there's a ton of opportunity. Do you think that's changing though, like the the mentality that people have toward housing? I'm thinking in Toronto, in your neighborhood where you live, mm -hmm. um, you saying it's a lot of bungalows still. I'd imagine the lots are a lot smaller. There's a lot more density. Do you think the sentiment towards, because um, I don't know if the government came in or the the city came in and just changed the policy, but 
I know the phrase NIMBY, right? Like not in my backyard. A lot of people were saying, you know, I don't want to see more density. And that was becoming a big barrier. But yeah. now with this new policy, do you think the sentiments changed or people are still kind of up in arms about it? Or like, they are choice. they embracing it? They don't have a choice. I know. But I'm just wondering how people are taking this because you're doing projects where you're converting these houses. And what's your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak to uh, to my experience. So, like, tr- Toronto is mainly comprised of, I mean, you have your pockets of single-family homes, um, but it's it's a lot of duplexes. It's a lot of... Um, like sorry, semi-detached. Semis, kind of. sorry, not, not duplexes. Semis. Um, yeah, these kind of, like, compact living style houses of, of that kind of typology. Um, yeah, yeah, nim- NIMBYism exists, and it's alive and well in Toronto for sure. Uh, I think that nobody likes change. Certainly next door neighbors don't like change. Um, there's definitely concerns with um, shadowing and, and who's going to be looking into my backyard. Those, those are some of the issues that we've had as we take single family homes up to three story, uh, four unit rentals. Um, but at the same time too, you're, you're surprised. It's not, I, I was surprised. It's not like they're fighting tooth and nail. They have some small concerns. They're usually addressed. We're able to address them. They're valid on. concerns. That yeah, make, yeah. Like they're, they're valid concerns and, and it could be about, uh, you know, their kids or, or their own property. And really ultimately the, at the end of the day, people want to make sure that their style of life or, or their lifestyle is that for a little twist. Um, <laughs> is not altered too too much, and, and ultimately they want to know that their number one investment, their the real estate that they bought, is is going to be safe or relatively yeah. safe. Do you think the value would go down or be affected by it, or actually like improve? Oh, it'll certainly be affected by it, uh, yeah. but but in the positive. Right? Yeah. Like we generally have been buying, um, you know, not the ugliest house on the block, not that strategy, but but we don't compete against families on our acquisitions, meaning that like ours are a little bit more run down. They're on main corridors. Yeah. Uh, so we have a little less competition in our acquisition strategy. But um, the point that I'm trying to make is when we buy these properties, sometimes we'll have tenants in there during our development period. Sometimes we won't, but the market rent for the existing product versus what we're charging afterwards is drastically different. So from a neighbor's standpoint, you're going to have a completely different style of tenant that's coming in there and paying forty five hundred dollars yeah for a unit versus yeah eighteen hundred dollars for an entire house and, and yeah. i think ultimately they will be the, the neighbor you know what's the expression as the water rises yeah. so do the ships yeah right so right. they seem to be happy and i've sat in on these committee of adjustment meetings and i've sat in and i've listened to the neighbors issues and complaints and uh you know, they're, they're, they're minor complaints, and they're usually you don't have any good stories they, for us. Or they, they leave hap- like listen. I, I've heard some of the stories where somebody's developing in like a really affluent neighborhood or yeah. like tree lined oh, yeah. streets. These people will come out in in you know droves of people and will absolutely in numbers. Oh yeah, and, and it's like their firstborn kids are are. On the line, right? Yeah, it's uh, our camera shuts off every now and then. With with the pitchforks and there's tears and there's screaming. Like 
that's not the kind of projects that we're targeting and and luckily <laughs> so you're not building in rosedale yeah exactly we're not building in rosedale and okay like, so and our buildings are beautiful too right like i mean like they look good they look beautiful on the street people like them they're aesthetically yeah. pleasing we're not okay so like i these. think we've jumped a little bit because let's bridge back to so you were in energy and you still kind of do that and you've identified these opportunities and now you're saying we're doing these projects. So like, let's, let's bridge that gap with sure. the listeners so that they know kind of where, where are you at now? What kind of projects are you working on? Sure. Yeah. Um, just to paint the picture for people. And what's, um, we, we introduced you as uh, missing middle. Yeah. Maybe just like, um, elaborate on like, what is the missing middle? Cause sure. like, you know, when I think about it, my, my middle is not, my middle is only expanding. It ain't missing. But we hear about yeah. uh, the missing, I mean, it's popular now, That's but I think yeah. this is something like five years ago, you kind of, it sounds like you identified that. And now like everybody's like, the missing middle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a term that gets thrown around a lot. Um, you know, I'm, again, given my, my limited background and, and limited experience in real estate, I'm sure that I won't articulate it or hit the nail on the head, but it, it's the help. It's, it's, it's defines the housing typology that's in between your 500 unit apartment buildings or condominiums and your single family homes, Mm -hmm, right? right. So your duplexes, your triplexes, your fourplexes, your stacked towns, your row houses. You go to Europe, you go to some of the major cities in Europe and and that's missing middle. You you look at cities, uh, even like London, for example, uh, towns in Germany, you look at cities where there's a handful of skyscrapers, but everything else is three stories as far as the eye can see. Like that's, that's missing middle housing. That is, it's designed to be providing cities that are in desperate need of, of supply, gentle density, right? So it's just, it's, you know, like I define it as what I'm doing is converting single family homes to multifamily, mm-hmm. right? Toronto doesn't have a whole lot of green space. It's not like you can buy up like vacant lots of land and create missing middle developments that I'm seeing right now that's, that's happening in like London, Ontario. I'm seeing a lot of cities actually build these like missing middle style Subdevelopments, yeah. Subdivisions, developments. Um, yeah. In, in Toronto, I define missing middle as, as the conversion of single-family homes to multifamily. So they're and, using existing infrastructure, and they're not overloading it in a sense, right? You're not putting like a massive condo right in the middle of, you know, some neighborhood that can't handle those many people. Right. But it's, you're kind of spreading it out. You said gentle. Then I like the way gentle density. density. Yeah, yeah, like it's dense. Density. So there's more yeah. people. We're housing more people. But yeah, it's it's not going to be overloading or burdensome on. Yeah, yeah and it's still comfortable living for people yeah. too. It's not like sardines. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, well you're right. And sardines are we good. Saw, we saw more than ever, especially during the last couple of years, you know, in, in major cities that people don't want to be packed in. 500 square foot concrete boxes in the sky. They want growth oriented. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought, eh? Well, I mean, but, but like, you know, go back to 2019. The reason why people paid a premium for those spots is because the amenities that surrounded that unit. Right. Because of how little time they stayed in that unit and, and they were kind of, you know, attracted to the neighborhood right. that the unit was situated in. Sure, it makes sense, right? You take all that away, you strip that all away. People all of a sudden have been like, wait a second. I think I want ground oriented. I think I want a little bit more green space. I think I want to be closer to a community with, with trees, cafes, shops, and like some, some you know, yeah. neat restaurants and like a real communal feel as opposed to the concrete jungle. And that's who it is that I think the missing middle will be competing against. And I think the missing middle will have a very easy time competing against the old way of, of you know, 
it's an attractive lifestyle option yeah i I, like look i mean without getting too into the weeds on what we build but like thousand square foot new construction access to green space on public transit in nice desirable neighborhoods high walk scores um you know if i have to compete against the downtown core you know multifamily either apartments or condos i like my chances um Anyway, so that that's that's missing middle, or certainly how I define it. Maybe I should say yeah. that, that's why I define it. I have another theory actually, because when you go to Europe, they're all walk-ups, right? There's no elevators, right? You go to France, and we're like, oh, we got this great apartment, and like you got all your luggage. It's like yeah. oh, there's five flights of stairs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so all that exercise, my theory is that it uh, contributes to your middle the missing slimming middle. down. Yeah, <laughs> missing middle. That's I don't know if that's correct, but that's my theory. It's actually a really good theory. Now. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Oh, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's not fun for North Americans because we're, we're all, all so just packed in like sardines. <laughs> we're all packed in like up. sardines, eating sardines. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay, that's a little bit off so, track. So, so that's the missing middle. Yeah, and and sorry to your point, um, you, you would ask segue your background in energy to to where I am right now, and again without spinning like some you know, fairy tale story. This is exactly how it happened. COVID had shut our businesses down. I, I don't think anybody was immune to that, no matter if you're anywhere in the States or in Canada or any major city in Canada, COVID shut us down. Um, I was sitting there in my house and just being like, what the heck am I gonna do to make money, right? Or, or like, you know, being self-employed and an entrepreneur was a scary time. Um, and I saw an opportunity where I could combine my, my background and my passion for energy conservation. Essentially, I read something that said, hey, if somebody's going to start building energy efficient multifamilies, here's all the financial benefit. Um, so with very little background and with very little understanding of the program, um, my business partner and I started going around and buying and acquiring single family homes in what we thought were going to be desirable neighborhoods, either along existing transit lines or future transit lines with the plan to one day develop them to multifamily. And uh, yeah, it, it's been a, you know, jump and build the parachute on the way down kind of practice. Like, How's that going? <laughs> we haven't landed yet. Yeah, okay, good. We haven't landed yet, so, so I don't know if the parachute's working or if it's just a, a fall or drop than I thought. That's a good metaphor, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's that's been my journey. My journey's just been, okay, <clears throat> let's learn through osmosis. Let's Let's... Uh, learn the hard way and um, you know since we started acquiring our properties we have seen two or three major policy changes that is just kind of like solidified our our you know vision which was it's like a big tailwind just pushing yeah Yeah. bill c23 okay the waiving of federal tax for purpose-built rentals and then this mli select program which is the funding, so it helps the financing, yeah. Okay. Which is federal financing. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry, it's commercial financing insured by the feds. Backed by the federal yeah. government. The yeah. yeah, and for, like, I don't know, anybody listening to, first-time home buyers will be familiar with CMHC, right? If you are if you have uh, what's an, an insured mortgage, you're putting 5% down, is generally CMHC that's backing that. There's the, who else is there? Genworth, I think. Yeah, Canada uh, Guarantee or something, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but, that, like, yeah. you know... So, so they do tons of that. So it's just basically these lenders know that the federal government, who can print money, mm-hmm. um, is going to back them up. Yep. And same with these, these five plexes. So the, how stringent are the, um, 
are the energy requirements? Are we talking like LEED certified buildings or um, like yeah. how hard is it to build a fiveplex and make it energy efficient to qualify for this uh, this program? Yeah, so, so important question. Um, so the program, and again, I just want to preface everything with, with I'm not a mortgage like lender or broker yep. so like maybe some of my terminology won't be 100 on but the way that the program is designed from an energy standpoint is they want to see that you are 20 25 or 40 percent more efficient than a certain baseline right right is so, that baseline like the national building code or something like that like, yeah what's yeah. the so, standard so for new construction um they like to use the national building code 2015 national building code or 2017 necb code okay which i believe is the national energy we're gonna have to edit that out until i figure out the app <laughs> don't worry we're wrong all the time yeah all right uh, is used to it so uh, to, to make the program work the federal government decided okay we have to have some kind of standard and people need to be able to uh you know exceed the efficiency by a certain percentage so they want to see you be more efficient by those benchmarks yeah and as a reward, they're going to give you a point system for yeah. every time you hit that next level. So there's level one, level two, and level three. Right. And then what, so like your your job, like in the energy consulting role, you're looking at some architect's drawings of a building and saying, hey guys, if you want to take this building, which is to say four units or whatever, and you want to get the CMHC, or I guess it would have to be five units in total on the lot, right? Yeah, but yeah. so say you want to qualify for the CMHC energy stuff, what are you just like specifying certain types of insulation or like are there certain checkpoints that yeah. you can hit on or? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, part of, what, part of what I do or part of what we've been doing now for the last, uh, call it eight months to a year is, is half part consulting on yeah. the kind of building sciences somebody should be incorporating into their new build. And then the other half is producing an energy modeling report. Um, so one of the requirements that CMHC has is if you want to access this financing, you need to have what's done or what's called energy modeling. So energy modeling is the actual name of the service. Right. Energy modeling is like a predictive energy consumption over the next 365 degree or 655, 600, 365 days based on heating yeah. and cooling degree days, based on like some certain simulations, uh, depending on where you are in Canada. Uh, right. So, so the energy modeling software is the one service that we offer, but then as a spinoff to that, everyone's like, okay, well, we'll give us some guidance on what kind of heating systems should we use, size them for us. What's yeah. the make model serial number? What kind of building envelope systems should we use? Windows, uh, domestic hot water, appliances, yeah. lighting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a large part of what it is that we do is sitting down with people in, hopefully in the preliminary stages, like the planning stages, in giving them guidance and consulting as to what they need to do to hit their certain milestone right. so they can take drawings of a building and then get the financing and like everything yeah. in between is not like is figured out for them <laughs> yeah and presumably then they can have an idea of like here's my energy costs over the next five years or or whatever right provided rates stay at x then we yeah. know what we're going to be spending which is like that's pretty useful too if you got five units mm -hmm. i mean if the tenants are paying for it great if you're paying for it Mm -hmm. um, it at least gives you some certainty, right? To know that, yeah, I've here, 
Because that's in real estate, you've got your fixed costs and then you got your variables. Yeah. And the more variables you can eliminate, the better certainty you have that you're going to be successful. So, like yeah. you're kind of able to provide some certainty in in that area as well, right? Yeah. Like we we've been asked before to do like an energy audit, which is a little bit different than energy modeling. And an energy audit can almost we we would take your annual hours of operation, the rate that you charge per kilowatt hour. And then the, you know, we would size whatever piece of equipment we're talking about, whether it's your lighting systems or heating and air conditioning, and we can almost break it out to the dollar. Really? Over 365 days, what that piece is going to run you. Wow. And that information is important because when we can determine that dollar amount and that kilowatt hour consumption or that cubic meter of natural gas, then we can determine if there's any other available rebates and incentives by lowering it. Because that's usually how utility companies give you incentive mm. or rebate money, is based on the reduction of kilowatt hours or cubic meter of gas or cubic meter of water that you're reducing. Mm. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, like from a building operation standpoint, uh, people want to know how much their systems are, are costing them to run. And one of the questions that Brent asked is, um, you know, th there's other ways to access this CMHC financing program, right, through affordability and accessibility. Yep. But he said, don't most asset owners want to have a high energy efficient building? And like, yeah, the answer is yeah. The answer is yeah. yeah. I, I think it's a more attractive asset to have. I think it, you know, probably means that it trades for a premium when you go to sell it. And I think ultimately it's like, look, you're going to have people that do this program for, for one of three reasons, in my opinion, right? There's the planet, the people, and then the profit, the three Ps that always seem to be, you know, under the envelope of energy conservation. The planet's a no-brainer. I mean, I, I would hope most people want to do what's, what's right for the environment, so it's great to have an asset that does that, a multifamily. The people, we think that our, our tenants are, we think we're building a superior product. We think that our tenants are going to be happier as a result of a, of a high-efficiency building. Um, Heating and cooling systems are more efficient. Lighting systems are more efficient. It's easier on their bills, so they're happier. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you address the first two P's, the profit, the last P, kind of just, you know, it, it it's a byproduct of keeping the first two P's happy. Right. The planet and the people are happy. Your profit's going to be happy as well too. So, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so just on the uh, on the profit side, <laughs> that's where I gravitate to. Um, <laughs> what are the differences in, in the financing costs? Like what can you, so typical investor, you're going to put 20% down um, and whatever rate you can get from your, uh, from your lender. What are some of the differences with the CMHC program? Yeah. So um, the benefits of the CMHC. That's, that's. Oh, yeah. This is a whole topic, Mark. Yeah. You, yeah. you open another can of sardines. <laughs> That's, um, I mean, like, yeah. The sardines come in cans? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, they come from the ocean. Okay. There's a little step there. Freshwater sardines. The planet. Yeah. Lake sardines. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, you're right. Like, why are we doing all this? Right? Like, CMHC, what, what, yeah. what is the benefit? You, you well, because I talk to people and I'm like, I have to convince people that debt's a good thing. And I'm constantly talking to people who are like, so you're telling me that I should have more debt. And I'm like, well... Technically, if your dollar devalues, it's beneficial to have debt on a good asset, right? Yeah. So here we are talking about how to get more debt through CMHC at better rates and like, <laughs> yeah, this is so fun, right? Let's get more debt. But like, people listening to this are probably like, these guys are nuts. Well, we, yeah, no, it's, it's funny that we're this far into it and we haven't 
actually addressed the question like why do people want cmhc yeah. like the certificate right. of insurance from cmhc <laughs> <us> why? <laughs> so if i'm an asset owner if i'm a multifamily asset owner um you know obviously cash flow and, and, and your financial well-being of that building is determined by by a variety of factors but your financing term is a massive determinant of the financial health of that building cmhc financing gives you access to lower interest rates somewhere to the tune of like one and a half to two percent better than what you can get at you know any major bank or any major lender you have higher loan to value allowances you can go up to 95 percent loan to value 95 percent 95 percent which means that you know in theory an investor or a builder can access all the money that they put down to build it acquire the land and the added appreciation they can take that money out uh, upon the first day of stabilization uh, don't don't quote me on that timeline but you know, in theory, that's how the program yeah. works. Second day. Second Se- day of yeah, savings. <laughs> Third day will guarantee. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have uh, lower debt service requirements as well, which means in order for the bank to approve your loan, you don't need to show this high debt service coverage ratio. So they, they give you some allowances there. Is that personal or is that based on the project? That's based on the project. So there, That's another benefit. Yeah, there, that's another benefit. So there's recourse and non-recourse loans. These yeah. are non-recourse loans, which means although your personal net worth is important to get the loan originally, um, or initially, I should say, um, once the building is stabilized and once you have once the in loans there, in place, kind and of thing? once the loans in place, you can come off as a personal guarantee on that loan. Okay, wow. So, what does this mean? It means oh, and I'm sorry, you can get a 50-year amortization. Up, up, up from a twenty. We'll just slip that in at the yeah, end. Sorry, yeah. yeah, up from a twenty-five year. So, like, try to like note this in the forty-eight minute mark. The yeah. benefits of this program are lower interest rates, fifty-year amortization, lower debt service coverage requirements, and up to ninety-five percent loan to value. What does this mean? This means that if my building here, you know, was is doing, let's say, ten thousand dollars a month in rent under the MLI Select program it's going to generate up to twice as much cash flow as just a conventional loan if you don't go through the CMHC. And from right. an investor, I mean, like, is that not what it's all about? Like, don't you want your projects to be cash flowing? And Yeah, you can start doing more projects. You can start doing more. Well, it's- yeah, because especially if it's if you can take your personal guarantee off, like, now you can move on to another project. And it's like that project doesn't really exist from a financial, like, from a debt service uh, right. standpoint, right? You could have 10 of these, and as long as you're not tied, because that's the big project for like, you know, what we're more used to is single family home mm-hmm. investors. You know, you get like above five, and then it starts to get really dicey, even if you've got like great income and, yeah. and everything else, right? The banks are like, oh, I don't know if I like this, right? But in this case, um, like that's incredible. Okay, a couple things jump in my head. Well, one is, okay, so we all want the CMHC financing, but that comes at a cost, right? Because we're going to have to spend money on energy efficient stuff. We're going to have to pay Jaden to do his thing and get the loan, whatever. Um, that's that's one thing. And the other thing is like, well, okay, how am I going to buy a property in Toronto? And then I'm assuming we got to convert it to four units. So there's going to be like a five. lot, five units. Yeah. Right. So we got to convert this thing to get the financing in the first place. Like how, how is the average person listening to this go, 
All right, mm. I got a couple hundred thousand dollars and a property in Toronto's like a million plus. Mm-hmm. What are like? Is this even worth talking about, guys? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, it's um, like, is it too far out of reach for people? Like, how should people digest this maybe information? Maybe for one person. Yeah, maybe for one. But person. what if you got two or three persons? You know, it. it so you, you bring up a, a great point and a great opportunity, which is, um, you know, like partial ownership or fractional ownership, um, working with somebody that can bring you on in a partnership capacity so that you can, you know, maybe come in with like a $50,000 or $100,000 placement and still be able to participate in this missing middle. The one thing, the, the ugly reality of this program and everything we've talked about, it does take a fair amount of capital. Yeah. Right? Like you can't really have debt on the land as you go to CMHC and ask for more money for either construction financing or the permanent financing on the back end. Your, your debt position has to be pretty favorable and attractive, which means even if you're buying something in Hamilton, like you need seven or $800,000 cash in hand. You gotta go buy a piece of land with, with no debt on it. You gotta at least get the construction ball rolling. So like, it's a great program. Um, the accessibility to making it work, however, when the rubber hits the pavement, it's a little bit different. So. Right. We started exploring the idea of fractional ownership about two years ago. And part of our idea and our thinking was, how do we get our neighborhood involved in this neighborhood conversion? So we wanted to be um, tenant focused in terms of the development, but neighborhood focused in terms of the investment, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we started reaching out to like, quite literally our next door neighbors in some situations and saying, hey, do you want to own this with us? These are our plans. This is what it is that we want to build. Do you want to own this with us? And it's not a it's not a foreign concept for anybody that understands like a REIT, for example, uh, um, or fractional ownership. But we're doing it a little bit different because we want to we, we want to include everybody that that wants to be involved um, and share on the upside. But we're allowing fifty thousand dollar minimum investment to come partner up with us. Wow. So for a neighbor next door or somebody else down the street who has 50 grand, they're now co-owning a building. And it's in their neighborhood. So they have like, they got a real, a real stake in it. Yeah, yeah. it's a pride of ownership. I mean, like, honestly, if, if you... I could just picture like, hey, don't park there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or going out and cutting the lawn at midnight, yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting cut, cutting your lawn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> If you talk to like the neighbors in my in my little community that I live in, everybody would tell you that buying a house ten years ago was the best investment they ever made. Accidentally, yeah. yeah. And then they would probably sit there in the same breath and say, "Oh, I wish I would have bought ten. Yeah. Oh, my neighborhood has become so unaffordable now, right? So like the same virtues that made this this great investment are the same thing that's priced them out of it. And if you would have asked anybody in my neighborhood, yeah, they would have told you that they would they would have bought ten more. And so they see these opportunities kind of getting further and further and further out of reach until we started knocking on the door and saying, invest with us. Do you want to own this with us? Yeah. Come, come own your next door. Don't be jealous or, or, or envious at the development that you see going on in the neighborhood. Don't see it as you're being priced out. Come on board with us and own it with us. That's a really interesting strategy, actually. Yeah, because you cool. just you have like you're building community too, right? Yeah, we want it to be like built for us by us, you know, with all the community members. So I started like 
talking to like local store owners and shop owners and restaurateurs and chiropractors in the neighborhood and dentists in the neighborhood and saying, hey, like, look, you know how hot this neighborhood is. Clearly, you work in it. Yeah. You service this neighborhood. You know, you, you see what's going on on it. Like a lot of our, our partners have a thumb right on the pulse. So they know what's going on. So you don't have to sell them on the neighborhood. Yeah, they're You don't committed. have to sell them on, on the tenant class and what's going on with the rents. They know it firsthand. What they can't access is either their own independent financing or they don't have a million dollars cash to put down on it, right? Yeah. So, um, so like that's, that's our next goal. Our next goal is opening up the missing middle, um, our, our all-electric, eco-friendly apartments that we're building for people that just want to get involved um, in a smaller like dollar amount. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, because that's one that's one of the roadblocks that we've talked about, right? Yeah. It's just like the capital costs. Like, yeah. you know, somebody might have a hundred thousand, or they might have equity in their home mm -hmm. that they're comfortable taking out a hundred grand, fifty grand, but like seven, eight hundred thousand. Yes. It's just it's a different level, right? And it's a level of risk too, right? Once you pull eight hundred thousand dollars of your own money out of something, you better know what you're doing with it, right? <laughs> like if you lose that, or you. Uh, you don't put it to work right away, right? Like yeah. if, you, if you start buying one of these places and it takes you like two years to get approvals because you don't know what you're doing, like, you know, you can lose all that money pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between like having a cash flowing project or like yeah. losing a big chunk of that and having to walk away with nothing, right? Yeah. Which is why you probably want to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I, th I think I think I the think. idea of fractional ownership is it, it allows them to also invest in a passive capacity, right? So, like a lot of people have nine to five jobs, which is you know the the reality. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I have a nine to five job, right? Um, dealing with tenants and termites and ticks and, and toilets is not the reality for a lot of people. So, so what we want to offer people is the opportunity to get into the real estate space, get into the market, right? Like ride the wave appreciate some of all the benefits that real estate has to offer from an investment class without having to manage all the things that I just mentioned. Yeah. Right. With, with a little bit more passive hands off. So like a lot of the benefits with not a lot of the downside. Yeah. What uh, do you also take on property management after once it's uh, built? So right now, right, right now we're going to do it in house until we hit a certain number of units. And then I think we'll probably hit a bit of a ceiling. And, uh, and and have to outsource it or explore the idea of building out a division that does it, um, you know, in in house. I don't know if um, if I highlighted this earlier, but every asset that we have decided to develop over the last couple of years is within a bicycle ride of of where me and the other partners live. So oh, really? Yeah. So we're really like locally focused. It, it gives us a thumb on the pulse. It. it you know, allows us real insight as to what's going on. So like for the time being, we can manage the properties and do it pretty efficient, efficiently and effectively. So, and there's still, I mean, presumably there's still lots more, um, uh, available properties in that, in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the density, right? Yeah. There's, there's, so. I mean, yeah. I mean, the lot, lot sizes are this big, yeah. right? They're this big, but there's, yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of them. There's, there's a lot of them. And the other, the other cool thing to highlight from a maintenance standpoint is when you're building green and it's brand new, everything should be under warranty. So hopefully things aren't giving us too, too much headache in the first couple of years. So we like to, we like to think that we're building 
relatively maintenance-free, yeah. knock on wood, <laughs> relatively maintenance-free uh, properties for the uh, for the future. Man, yeah, I'm excited about this. I think it's a really, really interesting opportunity. I maybe it's been said, but I like to call it the sweet spot. Like it seems like most investors want to be in Toronto, but they've been forced, like you said, out to other secondary markets. They want those tenants. Um, and now, like you've discussed, the options with financing, they want that financing too. And this kind of marries the two in a kind of unique way that's accessible. And there seems to be a lot of opportunities. So I think the next bunch of years, this is going to be a really interesting trend to watch. And it'd be really yeah. cool to see how you guys take off and uh, mm. where you go from here. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, we're, we're having fun doing it. So, I mean, <laughs> time, time will tell. We got to get you guys on site. I'll bring you guys to uh, to some of the projects. Hopefully, as the weather gets a little warmer, which is you know I've been told to stop jinxing the weather, but like we're <laughs> on site. Our guys were in t-shirts this week. Uh, Our guys were in t-shirts. It was seven degrees yesterday. Yeah. Like you know, for February second, could you ask for yeah that's uh, better weather for for construction? So. I don't like it. Not one bit. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, like it's uh, it's it's a little it's a little off putting a little bit, like the fact that it's almost yeah. golf weather in February. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just bought a place in ski country in the states, so I'm uh, I'm hoping this trend doesn't continue. Whereabouts? <laughs> it would be near Ellicottville. Ellicottville. Yeah. It's Vermont. So, I mean, there's still snow. What's is that? that? Is that Vermont or upstate? No, New Western York. New York. Oh, yeah, it's a couple New hours York, away. Yeah. So. Yeah, we, we just need it to be like zero so they can make snow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, my dad's got a place in, in Collingwood that yeah. he, he rents up there too. And he's just like, you know, I don't know if you've seen Collingwood. It's Ontario, just green. It's, it's just green. Yeah. Just yeah. green and brown and like a little sliver of white. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and I was talking to him yesterday. I'm like, what does Collingwood look like if this keeps up for the next 10 years? Like. Is it not a ski yeah. town? Yeah. Like what happens? So. <laughs> What's the solution? We make everything energy efficient? Is that going to save you the... You have to make everything energy efficient. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're combating it. So if the, government, if the government is incentivizing this space, then it's a good space to invest in. All right. I would say so. Okay. So. Cool. Okay. Anything so else we got to touch on or we wrap this up? I think we're good. I don't know. Do you have any uh, any, no. anything burning that uh, we haven't talked about? I'll no, have you back on, like... definitely. I think yeah. when you... Uh, as the projects progress and as we get some uh, interesting info on the tenants and feedback, yeah. I think that'd be really cool to have you back on. Yeah, yeah for well, sure. We'd love to have you guys on site and uh, yeah, as we wrap up some of these projects and, and get them tenanted and I can come back here with like some real concrete numbers. So it's like returns and, and you know, who got how much of their money back when and what timelines. I think that'll be an interesting case study. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So in the meantime, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, pretty easy to find online. Uh, Jaden Haywood at River Development is uh, is the name of my company. My energy company is PL Energy. Um, yeah, send me an email uh, or reach out to Brent. Brent has my contact. Maybe that's the easiest way. Eh? Yeah, no, people yeah, can just, reach out to the show and we'll hook them up too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely put all this contact info in the show notes too so people can it. find you and yeah. stay in touch. So yeah, thanks yeah, for making the trek. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks very much. And for our listeners, until next time, steward your wealth wisely. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Two Stewards Show. If you like my voice better, click subscribe. And if you like my voice better, click share. If you like both, give us a five-star rating. To interact with the show, feel free to reach out at hello at twostewards.ca. We'll see you in the next episode. In the meantime, steward your wealth wisely.